1: Hi there. Hi everyone. Hi, it's Gwendolyn. Welcome to the Visual Workplace. Welcome to this week's show. And welcome to a really beautiful summer, at least here in Portland, Oregon, where the skies are blue. The Cooper Hawks are in their 60-foot palms, I'm sorry, elms, (laughs) doing something up there. And there are big white puffy clouds in the sky, and green is everywhere. I really love the summer. In the Pacific Northwest, I tell you, it is, um, just, it's just just—it's just about paradise. I haven't gone hiking yet uh, in the gorge where all the waterfalls are, but I will very soon. But let me welcome you to our show. This is the visual workplace, and what we are about is making the workplace speak. T- developing ways, embedding ways, put information, meaningful, relevant, comprehensive information at our fingertips, at the tips of our eyes, and at the tips of our noses, at the tips of our senses, so that we can perform exactly the right thing, the right what, and the right how, and the right how many, and the right where, and the right what, these are the six core questions of workplace visuality and we turn them into visual where, visual what, visual who, visual how, visual how many, and we get a workplace that speaks. And we do that intentionally. We do it through methodology. We follow step-by-step procedures for various categories of visual function, what we call a methodology. But we also learn from what we're doing and we're simply inspired to create visual devices that have never been seen on the planet before. We create solutions to our local problems that many, many others can use far, far away because they have problems that are similar enough for them to use our solutions and adapt them and adopt them for their own specific work process. The visual workplace, letting the workplace speak. This is the most exciting um translation language project that I could ever imagine. As you know, I have um taken the um kind of premise that the visual workplace is about language. I see evidence of that everywhere. This is my new toot-toot. This is what I've been excited about for about the last five years, that visuality is our language. It is the language of work embedded into the living landscape of the work itself. And we create a partnership between the inanimate things of that workplace, our need for meaning, our need for information sharing, our need for connection, and for the guidance to do the right thing precisely and exquisitely. And we let the workplace help us instead of letting it sit there dumb, just holding us up a floor that just holds me up and holds you up and holds some machine up or some table or some bed up. Why not let the floor speak? All it needs to speak is our ingenuity in helping it, in helping it, helping make it so. So I get very excited about the visual workplace. I also, at the moment, am pretty darn tired. So let me just kind of catch you up on things, make a few announcements, and then we'll get on to our... A topic of today, which is a continuation of a discussion that we started actually in May, having to do with the visual wear. We were talking about addresses, and then um, we interviewed Norman Bodek, um, Doctor Improvement, and then we had several encores because I was traveling and I traveled last week as well. So I come to you pretty tired but excited about sharing. What I consider to be the next step in addresses and I have uh, some more rules to share with you and also I think that we will make a good dent into special innovative addresses like photocopied addresses, stacked addresses, 3D tabs and things like that. So please stay tuned. I try to make every one of my shows kind of standalone so that they make sense all by themselves but also connected with everything else that is considered workplace visuality so that it's coherent and that it is um, all about, as I said before, making the workplace speak. I'm a little bit tired today, and I also have a cold that I'm getting over because I was in um, traveling last week. We launched our Pokioke. Martin Hinckley and I uh, launched our mistake-proofing at a great big biomedical. We were wonderfully received mistake-proofing or visual guarantees in bedding, the process so deeply, embedding information so deeply into the process of work that it becomes the work itself. poke devices may be the way you think of it. Mistake proofing is another way of expressing it. Fail safe. Anyway, we've been working on it since January, trying to find a kind of a very clear formulation so that others could train it. And uh, it, it was just a triumph. It was really, really well-received, but also well-conceived, We did a good job, and people recognized it. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to be traveling to England again in a couple of weeks. God help me, please. And I've asked Martin to please pinch it for me for two shows. So he's going to be on. He's the engineer's engineers. He's a NASA scientist, and he's uh, very kind of understated the way I'm kind of overstated. So it'll be a refreshing change, I think. And he's going to be talking about uh, Pokey Oak and probably making comparisons uh, with um, statistics and the limitations of statistical process control and other modularities that, uh, uh, I I should say, other modalities that attempt to uh, reduce mistakes. So uh, he's going to host the show, two shows. I'm excited about that. I haven't done that before, and I think it'll be really very refreshing. Let me see. There's a couple of other announcements. I wanted to tell you that when I am in England, I'm going to be at the Lean Conference for... The uh, University of Buckingham on July 10th, 11th, and 12th. This is Lean Leadership. I've been invited to present on visual leadership, the principles and practices. This is the name of my new book and also work that I've been doing now for about four or five years where I use the constructs of um, visuality to help all of the compelling natural leaders uh, come to the fore. So that we are all compelling leaders, if not natural ones, and um, be and for those leaders to be very effective. I'll be doing a couple or three or maybe four or maybe five shows on this sometime, probably in July or August, uh, because I want to share with you what I've been doing um, out in the field working with leaders and what I've been learning. As this model begins to refine itself, the name of the book that I'll be publishing, if I can get a quiet moment to write, I need about three weeks to do a draft, is called The Eye of the Leader, as as in I-Driven. So it should be very interesting. I'll be going back again in September and October or October to do another round. If you are in Europe or uh, in the UK and you're interested, drop us an email and we will... Uh, keep you informed. This will be at radio at visualworkplace dot com. So this is kind of the piece that I'm going to be doing for the next couple of years. I've also been invited to Regina, Canada, to do visual leadership some probably sometime in August. So we're going to begin our discussion of uh, meaningful, innovative, and precise addresses. The continuation of what we discussed before. And I'll start right now and kind of remind you that there are these kind of five rules or five tips, if you want to not make it too draconian, about addresses to help you make your addresses effective. And I want to say the biggest failing in addresses, there are two of them. One is that either people don't have addresses on their borders or the addresses are so cookie cutter and so unrelevant that they're, they just say things like whip, um, on hold, um, machine, (laughs) bench. But in fact, there's such a range of addresses of building meaning into addresses that we should take advantage of it. You know, if we're talking about visuality as a language, then part of that language needs to be part of the address itself. So in making your address more effective amongst many, many, many things that we've discussed so far, including the best combination will be black on yellow, bold black on yellow. The worst combination is bold black on white. (laughs) The eye will not be able to see that differentiation uh, from any distance at all. So you have this bold yellow, crayon yellow, with strong black letters or numbers, and you've got a winning combination. The U.S. government has already done that research for us. We already know that in a field of color, the human eye will see yellow first. And so we're capitalizing on that, and we're making our addresses very noticeable because you know if they're important to be important enough to become an address they're important enough for us to see and consider so if you remember there are five tips or rules and one of them is with addresses use arrows you remember that if, if it's on a shelf and you have an if something is on the shelf and you have an address identifying it well, you better let us know if it's the the shelf above or the shelf below, so simply add arrows. It's as simple as can be. The second rule is driver license level addresses. We talked about this in detail, but I'm just reminding you of it now. And that me, means that your aim is to add the telling detail to each address to make them very specific so that you, can, you have sufficient information to act immediately, independently, And correctly, with minimum motion, without any questions or hesitation, and either say, yes, that is exactly what I mean, or know what I need, or I know that it is not. So that's rule number two. Rule number three is exactly the opposite, which is use generic addresses. There are circumstances when you don't want an exact address, either because... There are so many items moving through the address location that you can't name them with any precision or for some other reasons. You may remember the story I told you about green rubber and the pizza that got cold. Remember that? And they created this generic address called Drop Zone so that anything that came into their department was always put there. They only had one place to look, including for the pizzas. They no longer got cold. So those are the first three. I have two more to go that I want to go over during our session today. That was just by way of reminder. And the, the fourth rule is to avoid meaningless addresses. And the fifth rule, they kind of go hand in hand, is to add address handles I had just begun to speak of this. This was about four weeks ago when we when we did our last address show. I was just beginning to speak of this, so I'm going to review that material as soon as we come back from guess what? A break. We have a break right now. And we will continue and cover as much as we can of what I promised during this show and pick up the rest during the next and probably the next after that. I'll see you in a minute.
0: comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company Gwendolyn galsworth visual workplace expert and award-winning author is available to help you harness and maximize that power with nearly 30 years of hands-on experience dr galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars site assessments total company conversions Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website, again, is visualworkplace.com. Are you a business innovator, or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program.
1: Hi, welcome back. This is Gwendolyn. Welcome back to the second part of the Visual Workplace today, where we are talking about addresses, the second element of the visual wear, addresses that are meaningful, precise, and innovative Why settle for okay when powerful and innovative is available and required? Hmm? Meaningful addresses. And that's just what we were talking about just before we went on the break. So welcome back. So a meaningful address. Another way of talking about install meaningful addresses will be said perhaps more understandably like this. Avoid meaningless addresses. Meaning less addresses. A meaningless address is not the same as a generic address. A generic address is by intention saying we're gonna call it drop zone. A generic address is by intention saying one, two, three. Calling uh um Placements uh, that are border designated locations by uh, a nomenclature that is sufficiently general for you to be able to use it for multiple purposes. And I'll, I hope to have time today to describe to you a really wonderful example of this. We'll see. If not, I'll get to it next week. But avoiding meaning less addresses is different. For example, you could be on an assembly line, and you could see this as an address. It'll appear to be precise, but it will, in actuality, be meaningless. Watch this 12089499. Looks precise, doesn't it? Here's the one right next door to it 12065401. Looks precise. In fact, these are part numbers of components. And they're in bins, and they're in an assembly. We can be automotive, we can be electronic. Lots of numbers, but no meaning. By meaning means, by meaning we mean that we can act on it with confidence, with certainty, each and every time because we understand what's in the bin. We don't doubt that address systems that involve these numbers, 12089499, were developed with care and a desire to be helpful to oneself and to others. And it is of some help, certainly better than nothing. It is something, it is a beginning. But if we sit and observe what activity that address, those kinds of addresses trigger, we will know that something more is needed. And what we will see is motion moving without working but we'll see it on a micro level we'll see people hesitate we we'll and remember motion is the measure of the visual workplace motion is the symptom that we see when there is missing information or incomplete unclear if you will meaningless information we hesitate we bend over we peer we go back again we pick we put back we strain we try to figure out. Am I? Is this right? I think it's right. Is it? Oh, you know, it might be right. I think I'm. Oh, uh, you know what? I'm going to take a chance. Oh, maybe should I? Uh, all of that is motion. Wait a minute. Let me check. Let me double check. Where are my glasses? Oh my gosh. Maybe I'm wrong. Oh, I got to get back to work. Uh, I'm going to use it anyway. So the remedy is not a better pair of glasses. The remedy is to think visually. First, by recognizing that we are struggling and not working, that we are in motion and not adding value, right? And the second is to see that the information deficit is in the address and to create an improved address, right? And how do we improve it? Well, not by removing those long part numbers, but by adding to them, which brings me to rule or tip number five. So tip number four was avoid meaningless addresses. Tip number five is this, add address handles. Add handles. And I'll tell you what we mean. When we do this thing called adding handles, we clarify or strengthen the address. And a handle is simply this. It's an equivalent, or I'm going to use a big word here, an amplification, a strengthening of the existing address that creates redundancy. That's a big word. That creates clarification. A handle will provide... A distinct way to ensure that the information is precise. And here are some handles. You'll be surprised. If you were looking at long part numbers, you would add a trade name. Call it the uh, the auto bra- brackets left side. Add a photograph to show us that that number means the photograph that we see. Pasted right on posted right on the bin. Add a drawing. Sketch it out. You can also add, who do I call when the part number is low or who do I call to find out what the part number is? Add a phone number. Add the SOP number. But you look for ways you don't get rid of the so-called meaningless address, but you add to the address so it becomes clear. You can have the common name. You can have the trade name. You can have the part number. You can have a photograph. You can have a sketch. You can have the SOP. You put on. I've seen. You put on all these things. I've seen that many many times. In some of the great Sumitomo plants that I that I went to in the 1980s and 90s, they would have this redundancy, these repeated values, in order to make it absolutely clear. But it is also. I will say, as an aside, not just to make the address clear, but sometimes the handle is for another person. For example, the person who needs to order the part. Maybe commonly we use the common popular trade uh, um, name for the part, but in order to order it, we need to have the number. Do you see? So you have these layers. In a way, you have different voices. You have of the response to different stakeholders who are using that same bin and trying to keep production going. We add handles. Okay? So this is what creates a blistering great address. Visible, accurate, correct, specific, precise, complete, and very, very effective. So those are the five rules or tips for effective addresses. Very, very quickly, use arrows. This is mostly my complaint, as you know. If you listen to that show, I whine and whine about it. Use driver license level addresses or intentionally use generic addresses. That's three. Four is avoid meaningless addresses. And five is add clarification, add address handles. And those are very, very good rules or tips when you want to strengthen your addresses. Now we're going to talk about making your addresses more powerful by looking at some innovations in addresses. Addresses are a major part of the operational, operational language that you embed. And there are many, many ways of making them more effective. So I want to, I, I got, you know, over the years I've collected some really clever ones. They're very near and dear to my heart. They're like sweethearts to me. One is the stacked address. I've actually only seen this twice, maybe three times in the last 30 years. But where it was was precisely needed. A stacked address is when you have a bin and it's three tall or four or five and the address is where you can see it at the bottom on the floor. A hardware bin. Bin A has the 991-0056. Bin B has the 992-00101. And bin C, and this is stacking up from the bottom, ABC is the 993-0004. Yes, you are right. These are meaningless addresses, so we're going to add handles to them as well. But this is a way to use the vertical space and still have the address available at the point of use for us who are closer to the ground? Three levels, very, very beautiful, beautiful idea. Another innovative address and very powerful photocopied addresses. Now I don't remember. I don't know if you remember the name of Bob Camo, but I ha- I sing his praises whenever I speak of my work because he, in the 1970s, was already a visual thinker of the first order and. He created visuality based on his need to know, need to share. I learned so much from him. He worked for United Electric Controls over in Watertown, Massachusetts. He worked at Watertown, Massachusetts, and he developed fantastic visual devices. and one of his greatest contribution contributions which are now, which is now used all over the world because you know when I, when I go around presenting to the thousands of people I do, I brag about Bob Camo. He came up with this idea. I just had the good fortune of noticing it. And that was, he developed what's called photocopied addresses. This is very close to photocopied borders, which we talked about when we talked about the first element of the visual wear, borders. But what he did in his tremendous understanding is that He made addresses, and I'll give you a specific example the first time I saw this. It was a photocopy of the tools that were needed to change over a noshifu machine, little machine for uh, switches and control. The photo of those tools acts as an address. They're not a border because the tools are sitting in a little blue bin sort of like a bill of tools, as in a bill of materials, and that's the address. And, you know, he didn't say, oh, look, Gwendolyn, I made a photocopier address. He just found a way to logically capture the tools that were in that blue bin, and I named it later. I got to name it later. Ah, you know what that is, Bob? It's a photocopied address. He just smiled at me and walked on. He thought, oh, that crazy lady, she's always putting names to things. So that's another way to photocopy the address itself. In this case, there was a bill of tools. Here's another innovative address. It's called a 3D tab address. This is a powerful but largely underused address option. And that is the address sticks out. It sticks out into the space so that you do not need to stand in front of the address to know what is located there. You do not need to stand in front of the shelf to know that what you're looking for is not on that shelf. Instead, we have these 3D tabs so you can tell it at a distance. And you'll see this often in hardware stores, where they have row upon row of screws and bolts and nuts and washers, and they have these handy, beautiful 3D tabs sticking out that give you, the closer you get, the more information. It gives you the screw type, the length, the screw head, the cost, all this vital information so you can make a value-add decision. Fantastic, isn't it? And you'll also see In smart retail stores, the use of 3D tabs. You'll see it at Lold, you'll see it at Home Depot, so that the customer experience is enhanced and the floor staff. Is minimized. It's a great cost saving approach. Empowered consumers. We can be self regulating because the retail environment is self explaining. Thanks to these splendid 3D tabs or splendid end caps. You know, when you go into Lowell's, and for those of you who don't live in the United States, it's a huge uh, store full of home improvement items. They will first they'll have these wonderful generic addresses. They'll call rows one, two, three, four, five, right? You've got the generic address. So somebody can say just go to row seven. But on the same three D stick out tab, and this three D tab is about five feet tall and about four feet deep. It's quite, quite big. It's like a banner. It will then give you the details home decor and it'll tell you exactly what is in the row related to home decor again so you can be self-regulating how because the environment is self-explaining um, 3d tabs are great i remember there was this a wonderful young woman named melody sparrow that was her real name melody sparrow isn't that isn't that cool who worked um, near uh, about five rows of diodes, resistors, and transistors. This is at um, Harris Corporation in Quincy, Illinois. It wasn't even her area, but because she was the only human being in sight, nearly everybody who went into those rows came over to her and asked her where things were. They just assumed that she knew. But they were wrong. She didn't know. However, in order to stop her motion of being interrupted she had to address their motion of interrupting her and so she built these 3d tabs and she did something else that was really clever she would you know what i'm going to tell you after the break that means you're going to come back (laughs) i'll see you in a minute i'll tell you what she did
0: business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company Gwendolyn galsworth visual workplace expert and award-winning author is available to help you harness and maximize that power with nearly 30 years of hands-on experience dr galsworth shows you how Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website, again, is visualworkplace.com. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author, working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies.
1: the third segment of our show today, which is on meaningful, precise, and innovative addresses. We're currently going through a series of innovative addresses because I want to impress upon you that addresses are meant to be not just helpful but exciting. They are meant to be, oh, wow, they are so helpful. I can't even tell you how grateful I am that you created this innovative address because it goes way beyond anything I thought I would need to get my need-to-know answered. It's really helpful. Thank you, for example, Melody Sparrow. Because what Melody Sparrow did, as I was talking about before the break, is she put up these 3D tabs because everybody was interrupting her. Their motion was triggering motion in her, asking her, hey, where's this diode? Where's the resistors? In fact, where are the diodes versus the resistors versus the transistors? So she set up these 3D tabs and she color-coded them so that the diodes were in black, the resistors were in yellow, and then she went one step further. And this is five rows. So there's, you know, you can wander around. Uh, like um, a night at the museum and try to find your way. And what she did in addition was to use the borders on the floor level because these are these shelves are about three, four uh, shelves high. I would say they're over everybody's head by at least a foot. So, you know, you're looking up and down. And she put borders around, as as every good visual workplace does, Borders around these stacked shelves, but then what she did was on the blue border, which was the color coding for the shelves in her production on her production floor, she overlaid a border of black so that you could see the span of areas of where the diodes were. And then when the resistors began, she overlaid yellow, so you would follow, you would know up until here. I've got diodes, and that's where the black ends and the yellow begins, and uh, now the resistors, and it would be an additional guidance. And she was using the borders as part of the address. Do you see how clever that is? It isn't just clever, although it is also clever. It is effective, and it helps us, doesn't it? It helps us. Can you find some opportunities to apply 3D? tabs these 3d addresses in your own work area or if you're a supervisor can you coach for that can you say i wonder if there is a way my friends for us to be able to identify that very important address from here without going down the row because people are always coming up to me saying where it is they're coming up to you can we find a way To make it easy at the end of this row to know that what they're looking for is either there or not there. You just pose the question. You say, I don't know. I can't think of it, but I know it's there somewhere. It's right at the tip of my brain. Anybody help me with this? Would you please think about it because I'm going to ask the question again tomorrow. That's you being a supervisor and you being a coach. You getting what you know needs to be there because you've done your homework. I'm I'm building in about five different lessons into that last sentence. You do your homework and then you work through others through questions to get that to happen at a minimum. At a minimum. Oh, there's so many great examples of 3D addresses. I remember a um, warehouse, this fantastic warehouse in uh, Del Tronico's in Matamoros. And not only had they thoroughly, thoroughly applied store things, not air, but they also separated their small items, small packages, small uh, cartons from the big. So there'd be things that people could easily retrieve by hand. And then they put the 3D tabs up, D1, D2, D3, D4 the workplace becomes transparent. We can see right through it and we can see the information that we need. need. How exciting. So, in general, the level of complexity is the reason itself that we need visuality in the workplace because the complexity doesn't just trigger motion, information deficits, but it triggers the struggle that goes with it and the mistakes that go with that struggle and the lack of verification that what we're doing or about to do is right so we can be confident and we can stand up and be at our work and in our work and of our work, contributors, confident and capable. So when we look at addresses, we look for where is the motion and what can we do about it. And I'm going to introduce some more powerful addresses that maybe have not occurred to you. One of them is simply using numbers, not words, but numbers. So we talked about this before at Lowell's where they had the end caps: one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Wonderful generic addresses. But have you ever seen um, phone books that are importantly different? Big phone books, like for a county. I saw this once. It's in my book. I'm going to describe it to you. There's seven different counties, seven different phone books. And each of the phone books have a number. And then on the backboard of where the phone books are on a kind of arm, metal arm, on the backboard is a map of the counties. And each of the counties in this state each of the counties has a name, or I should say, each of the counties in this region has a, not a name, has a number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, that of course correlate. So we have this very easy identification, a legend, if you will, of the counties that pertain, and the books are there. Because you don't need a lot of information on the binding of each book, you just need to know is this the book I'm looking for? Is this the county I'm looking for? And the numbers are used. Okay. The one thing they could have done is color and match the numbers to the map, but I'm sure they thought of that by now. Another great um, example of using numbers as addresses and when you ha- is when you have piping systems. When you see a company that even bothers to differentiate pipes, you're already among advanced visual thinkers, those who are looking ahead into the repair and the maintenance function and taking steps in advance to reduce the associated motion or downtime. So what they're doing is picking up the money that's lying on the floor. You put numbers on your pipes. You put them on the pipe itself, one, two, and you put them right behind it if there's a wall, on a wall as verification. And uh, just as an aside, if you want to go further, you can put the arrow of the flow. What's flowing in the pipe and in what direction. Another use of numbers is something I've seen just rarely, but yet it was very important. And this was the work of Bill at Denison Hydraulics. I wish the heck I could. Uh, Bill Jones, Bill Jones, that was his name. He worked at Denison Hydraulics, and he had some rods that he needed to cut. There were two types of rod stock. Some of them were cut for his European customers and they were cut in metric units and others were cut in standard units for his U.S. customers. And Bill Jones made sure that each address captured the difference, the key difference in using those numbers. And he would put yellow for metric, and red for standard. He did it through color coding, but it was part of the address. Really, really excellent. And you would see this uh, red, yellow, red, yellow stacked up. And so you would, and, and also the arm was the same color. If it was a standard unit, red, the arm would be red as well. He, he left nothing to chance. And he, of course, made the metric Dimensioning, very, very precise, embedded in the address that was in that space, in the yellow space or in the red space. It was really excellent. Another very innovative, and this is a, a, a going to be a little bit obscure, but I think I can explain it. Very innovative. Application I saw many years ago when people were using cams, and I know that CNCs have almost all completely reduced or replaced cams. But the cam storage was so cool because the cams were stored; they were they used to be just in stacks everywhere. You spent so much time looking for them. This was at a screw machine manufacturer up in Rochester, New York, and so they would uh, a. The address itself was the cam size, so that's smart. Here's a 116th, here's a 132nd, so that was smart. But what they did that was really brilliant was they put a band of blue on the bottom of these cams that were going about six high, six pegs would come out, and a band of white. And what that did was enable us to remember ah, the one-sixteenth is in the white band. We did this subconsciously. And uh, the the five-sixteenths is in the blue band. But there was a combination, an intuitive understanding of separating the massive 60 pegs of cams into two differentiations. They could have gone further and made some columns of different colors to help us find it more... Uh, precisely, And, you know, I've, I've spoken to you about that before where color coding is used not in order to get the match, but in order to break up the field. Even I've seen it used, this whole idea used on a two-foot-by-three board to just create bands of color to help us identify in our memory and as we reach it's in the yellow band it's in the green band it's in the red band the color coding didn't have meaning but it helped the eye remember and therefore helped the brain remember really really cool so when we come back from the break and we are going into our final break believe it or not i'm going to talk to you about some addresses by function i'm going to begin with um tool addresses and then talk about process sequencing addresses and uh, maybe that will help you think through some of your tool challenges and we're going to have to wait for the uh, other special things that I mentioned uh, until our next show which will be next week so I'll see you in a moment thank you
0: comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com.
1: Part of our show, our fourth segment and our final segment today at the Visual Workplace. And I am thrilled to be sharing with you the details of addresses. One of the messages in sharing these this level of detail in, in addresses is to encourage you to really make your addresses work for you. Make them be the workhorses, the thoroughbreds that they want to be. Give them a clear powerful purpose and they will serve you very very well visuality is a form of operational language addresses do more than simply tell us where things are where things go they can and they do when used innovatively support day-to-day operations with precision with precision i'm getting very enthusiastic You know what? When I started writing this book, Work That Makes Sense, my editor kind of mapped out the wonderful Aurelia Navarro. Five of her last five books have won a Shingo Prize. She's that good. And you know the thing about Aurelia is that she lets you keep your voice. I got my own particular voice, but she makes sure that the authors really keep their own voice. She doesn't try to neutralize them or turn them all into vanilla. And uh, I like her very, very much. Uh, if you want to write a book, she can help you write a book. And you know you don't have to write it. You can speak it. So anyway, I will get off of that track and back to addresses. So the thing is about addresses. Uh, so so when I, I spoke to Aurelia about um, about the chapters of the book, we had about 30 pages set aside for borders, and I said, well, let's add another three or four for addresses because I don't have much to say. When I finished sketching out or doing the manuscript for the borders chapter, she said, this chapter is too long. You cannot add five more pages on addresses. You're just going to have to write more about addresses and have it a separate chapter. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I wonder if there's enough well that chapter became 30 35 pages and that's what you what we're discussing now the granularity of addresses how useful how widely applicable and how very different these addresses are what you need is you need to know that these different kinds of examples of these different kinds of addresses exist so that you make your addresses do more for you so they really fulfill the function that you need them to fulfill so we're going to look at four categories we'll only be able to do one of them in the next few minutes but we'll pick up the other the others next week we're going to look at four categories of addresses by function one will be the tool function another will be process sequencing another will be departmental addresses and the third will be addresses around material handling some really really interesting stuff Tool checkout. One way to deal with tools, this is, this particular example came from a department in a semiconductor plant where there was very, very specialized tools. And they wanted a way to keep track of the tools, but make, also make it easy for people to access them. They were expensive tools and they were shared amongst about 12 different people working at microscopes. And what they did was come up with a very simple system. First, they put all of the tools, there were about 25 of them, on the top of a table, gave them each a border and an address, but each tool had a secondary address. Uh, Let me just say it a different way. Each tool, if you took a tool, you would leave your name in its place, and it would be a magnetic address, but it would be your name. So if I took the FIT X20 or particular gauge, I would put my name in there, Gwendolyn, Gwenny, so that you would know where the tool was. Because that's what they wanted. They want the function of retrievability in terms of who has that tool now, how long will she be using it, and Can I be the next person in line? And then somebody would come over to me and say, Hey, Gwen, when will you be done? Oh, about seven or eight minutes. Can I have it next? Yes, sure. And so what would happen is that that person's, George's name, would then replace mine when the tool was traded off. It's a very simple system, but it worked. Okay? Minimum Minimum wandering and minimum motion. A similar checkout system for tools, I'm going to describe... One that I saw in the warranty department at a place called Volgren, a bus manufacturer outside of Melbourne in Australia. Really, really cool system. And there was a wall of special tools. They did aftermarket repair and uh, fixing. There was a wall of special tools. There were probably 25 to 30 men and women using those tools. When they needed one of those special tools, they would go to the wall. And there was a, uh, like a tree with little plastic um, key holders that had their name on it. It would say Luke, it would say Mark, it would say Sean, it would say Gwenny, it would say Shane. I'm reading names. And when they took the tool, they would put the little key on where the tool was. So again, we have the same kind of retrievability. And this worked out perfectly because when you have these specialized tools, you want to know where they are and you want to know they are somewhere if they're missing. And of course, the person who left their name would be responsible for returning it. Another way this system is used, which you may be very well aware of, is the CHIT system. That was a kind of CHIT system, C-H-I-T. It's like a note or a voucher. A chit system where a person will be uh, using tools and they will have a little ring or a little belt, if you will, of uh, chits with their name on it, many times with a barcode on it, where again you leave the tool, you take the tool and you leave your name so that you have this retrievability. It's really, really important for you all to work out your tool system and I will tell you as a rule... It's the last thing I look at. There's so much tension and so much charge around tools, whether or not they're owned by employees or owned by the company. They are a rare commodity and people will feel very territorial about them. And so you have to be careful as you begin to so-called control them. You need to experiment with it, and you need to find a system that supports production. But in general, in general, people go after tools first because that's where they feel the most pain. It's a big mistake. You go after tools very late in the game after you've developed visual thinkers, you've developed a kind of protocol of retrievability in your other in your in your whip in your material, in the placement of things, and then you move towards tools. And you can f- develop three or four or five different systems and experiment with them. Don't make it the single best idea just because you thought of it, Mr. Executive or Mr. Operations Chief or Ms. Operations Chief. Just say we're going to try this out and find out where, how it doesn't work, and then we're going to improve it. But instead, managers take all the tools away and say, this will be um, now, we're going to take all your tools home, we'll pay you for them or whatever. That kind of a change needs to be done so carefully. And the key is this retrievability. So you work with the system of information sharing rather than the system of tools. There's so much, I think I'll do a whole show on tools one of these times, and we can look at various uh, choices that you have. I hope that you enjoyed today's show. i want to th- oh, I want to tell you, please excuse me. many of you have emailed. I have not caught up in responding to you yet. Rosemary, carb, core, I beg your pardon. I will get back to you and everybody else that I owe an email to. Please forgive me. I've been traveling. It makes it really hard. Sometimes I can't get hooked up in the hotel room. Thank you very much for listening. I had a wonderful time. We'll continue with addresses the next time that we meet, which will be next week. It will be another live show. I think I have two more live shows before I go to England again. Then Martin will come in. And uh, and I've had a great time. Thank you. And you know what? This is Gwendolyn Galsworth. And I'm signing off. (laughs) Thanks.
0: We appreciate your joining us this week for The Visual Workplace Work That Makes Sense. Please tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, featuring your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galesworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening.